0: Welcome back to Chi Alpha, everyone. I'm so grateful to see you all here this evening. If this is your first time with us, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Chi Alpha. I would love the opportunity to get to meet you after service if I haven't yet. And I'm also just really thankful that you decided to join us. I know it can be kind of scary trying something new, so thank you for taking that risk and going out and taking a risk on us, and we love you so much, even though we may have just met you. Amen to that. When I was a freshman in high school, I had this really, really deep desire See, I had this deep desire to go see Twilight, Breaking Dawn, Part 1 in theaters. I wanted to see it bad. However, I had a dilemma. See, as a teenage boy, my friends certainly weren't going to go with me. I have weird interests, okay? We'll just leave that there. But anywho, my friends weren't going to go see it with me. So my two, I only had really two options unless I wanted to go by myself. I could either go with my mom, and I didn't want to do that, or I could find myself a date. So I decided to go down door number two and try to find a date. So I started texting this one girl. I'm being very honest. That It was simply because I wanted a date to Twilight, but that's besides the point. So I started texting this one girl. We're kind of vibing, you know, like ninth grade Derek was pretty smooth. That's a lie. I just lied. I'm sorry. I was really awkward. But anyway, so I started texting this girl. But then I meet this other girl in my science class, and I'm like, oh, I could take her to the movie instead. So I start texting her as well. This way, no matter what, I'm going to have a date to the movie. I will get my deep desire. So anyways, I flirt with both girls over text for a few days, and then I have a strong desire to ask both to go to the movie. See, I didn't want to disappoint either girl. I had a very strong desire for both girls, and also I'm a very much a people pleaser. I did not want to hurt their feelings. And like I said, I was just dropped at handsome. and I'm sorry, I was really goofy looking as a freshman. We'll just keep going. But anyways, so I did something bad. I gave in to my strong desire, and I asked both girls to go to the movie with me. Obviously, not in a group text. That would be really uncomfortable. But in two separate texts, something worse happened. They, they both said yes. See, now, because I'd given into my strong desires to not hurt their feelings and to date both girls, I was in another dilemma. I prayed. I fasted. I didn't fast. But I, I didn't pray, probably, either. But I thought about it some, and... I remember sitting at beat one night with my family just thinking I'm the worst human being on the planet. I was messing with both girls' heads. I was pursuing both. And so my conscience eventually did win out, and I called it off with both girls. See, because I gave into my strong desire to not please those girls, or to please both girls and get what I wanted, I didn't get my really deep desire, which was to go see Twilight. I still haven't seen Twilight, Breaking Dawn, Part 1. Taylor will not watch it with me, and I feel too sinful to watch it by myself. So, someday maybe I'll get Victor to watch it with me. (laughs) It's a date, sweet cheeks. (laughs) Anyways. Uh, has Has something like this ever happened to you before? Where you give into your strong, more immediate desires, but then you don't actually get what you truly, deeply want. See, our deepest desires are what we truly want what will truly make us happy. And our strong desires are just like what's right in front of us, and that naturally pulls us in. So maybe you have a deep desire to lose weight and be healthy, but you also have a really strong desire to go to Taco Bell after service and get like those 30-cent tacos that are going to clearly do bad things to your body. But anyways, I'll keep going. I don't like Taco Bell. But then we give into our strong desire of late night taco night, and then we don't get our deep desire of weight loss. Or maybe you have the deep desire to get good grades, but you have this strong desire to not do your homework and instead stay up all night on TikTok. Hey, Amen. That's, that's great. Maybe you have this deep desire to look more like Jesus and grow in your faith, but you also have a more immediate desire to sleep in later and skip your Bible reading so you can get that extra 30 minutes of snooze. Or maybe you have a, a deep desire to be like Jesus but you have a strong desire to skip small groups so you can spend more time on your homework. Or maybe you deeply, deeply want a godly spouse or a godly marriage, but you strongly want to sleep with your boyfriend or date that person in class who does not love Jesus, but dang, is he cute. I get it. See, we as a society are in a constant battle. We're in a battle between our strongest desires and our deepest desires. I truly think we want to be good. We want to be healthy. We want to create good habits, That's why so many people make New Year's resolutions. However, because we give into our strongest desires instead of our deepest desires, most of our resolutions don't make it past March. I get it. See, I have a really deep desire just to be absolutely ripped out of my mind. I think it would be so much fun to have huge biceps and look like Chris Evans. That's my dream. But I also have this really strong desire called a sweet tooth. And I really like chocolate a whole lot and I have a slight addiction to raising canes. But I cannot have canes, my dessert addiction, and a Chris Evans body. So clearly, I chose chocolate, but here we are, anyways. (laughs) My strongest immediate urges usually, if I'm honest, outweigh my deep desires. And I think this theme is not just common to me, but common to our society in general. See, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you have big dreams. That you have things that you deeply want to see happen in your life, but you can't seem to take the actions necessary to see those dreams come true. Maybe you badly want to kick that sin issue, start that habit, be a different person, but it's just challenging. We're in our second week of our sermon series entitled Lies at Large. See, we're in a society that is surrounded by lies. We're surrounded by lies about who God is, about what it looks like to live the good life, about who we are, about what's going to fulfill us, what our meaning in life is. All this to say that lies are at large. These lies come through the form ...of the three enemies of the soul. We are investigating each enemy as we go through these three weeks. Last week we talked about the devil and how he deceives us through deceptive ideas. How the devil puts lies into our minds... ...and then we go through this deception cycle that actually leads to distorting our reality. This week we're going to go to the second enemy of the soul, which is the flesh. We're going to be looking at the book of Galatians... ...where the apostle Paul talks about the flesh versus the spirit. This is in Galatians 5. But right before the portion we're going to read tonight... Paul is telling the church in Galatia that they are free. He's saying you are no longer tied to those Jewish customs or those like religious duties you have to do, but instead you're actually free to pursue Christ. He argues though that this freedom from these Jewish customs, which those people were Jewish in the time, that freedom does not give them the right to do whatever they want. It does not give them the right to satisfy their flesh, but rather it gives them the freedom to choose Christ and to love one another. Our freedom in Christ does not give us the freedom to do whatever we please, but rather gives us the freedom to choose Jesus and to follow him, because we freely know that Jesus' way is the best way. This plays on last week's idea that the devil lies to us to get us to think that we know best, when in actuality, if there's this thing called God who's all-knowing, he just might know best. So let's pick up in Galatians 5, 16-25 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you so much. Jesus, I just thank you for this group of students that want to pursue you deeply, God. We pray for a word from you, in your name, amen. Amen. The main idea is this tonight, the flesh deceives us through disordered desires. The flesh deceives us through disordered desires. We're going to investigate this enemy just like we did last week with the devil, so we'll start with this question of what is the flesh? According to John Mark Coma, who wrote a book called Live No Lies that a lot of this stuff is taken from, he says the flesh is our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality, as in sex and food, but also just the pleasure in general, as well as our instincts for survival, domination, and the need for control. So basically, our flesh is just the strong desires inside of us, the desire for things like sex, food, control, power. In life, we all have a lot of different desires. So our job as humans is to properly order these desires. The good life is what happens after we properly discipline our desires. What that means is we have a lot of desires, so what we need to do is we need to decide what's most important, what's least important, so we can start pursuing the important desires to us. If we do that, we'll become wise, productive humans if we put all of our energy in fulfilling our deepest desires. The thing that's interesting about desires, though, is they're not all created equal. They're not all as potent. What I mean by that is some desires, like the desire to eat your favorite food when it's right in front of you, That's really strong, right? Like if you see steak, I like steak a lot. I want to eat it. However, the desire to eat celery, to me at least, isn't quite as strong as eating a steak. It's not hard to say no to celery. It's very hard to say no to a good steak anyways. So we have these competing levels of desires, and these desires not only have different levels of importance, but they all have different levels of strength. The key to all this is to understand that our strongest desires are not necessarily our deepest desires. Meaning something might be really desirable, and you may really want it, and it might strongly pull you in, but it's not necessarily that important to you. Let's go back to food. Maybe you strongly want that piece of cake in front of you, but you deeply want to be healthy. You have a deep desire to lose weight, but this cake is a strong desire, meaning eating cake is not actually that important to you. Like make you didn't wake up and say, I really need to eat cake today. However, It's a strong, immediate desire, and it's enticing. It comes down to the short-term pain, long-term gain, or vice versa. The flesh is not our deepest desires, but our strongest desires. Verse 17 says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, the Spirit... That's our deep desires. The spirit is what we actually really want to do. But the flesh keeps us from doing what's best for us long term so we can scratch a short term itch because we live in a world of instant gratification. And these strong desires winning out in our lives leads us to having disordered desires. If you remember from last week, disordered desires is when our desires get out of whack. When we start placing our fleshly desires over our desire to please Jesus. For example, the desire to have sex is a godly desire. Sex is a great thing in the context of marriage. God gave us this avenue to express it. But our desires get disordered when we desire sex over pleasing God so then we start to have sex outside of the covenant of marriage, and we give into our strongest desire over our deepest desire, and then our desires are disordered. The problem with disordered desires is not only do they violate our morality, they also place unfair expectations upon God's creation. When sex is our ultimate desire and we're living for only sexual pleasure, that's not actually enough to make our soul content. The soul And remember from last week, our soul is just like our inner self, like who we deeply are. Our soul has more desires than just sexual intimacy. It doesn't just want a sexual partner, but your soul wants someone that you can have deep communion with. Your soul wants someone that you can be deeply bonded with, that can be your best friend. Your soul doesn't just want a sexual partner, but a life partner. In marriage, the spouse can fulfill a lot of those desires of your soul. In our Tinder hookup culture, that only fulfills one desire of the soul. See, that's us placing too high of an expectation on one simple desire when our soul wants a lot of different things, and it's unfair of us to expect sex to do what it was not designed to do. It's not these things; of the world aren't designed to fully fulfill us. Only doing things in the context that God creates them to do will do that. See, according to the early church father Augustine, the basic problem of humanity. The reason that we aren't being formed into the image of God as much as we might like is that we have these disordered desires. And this is becoming even more true in our current day. In the past, duty and restraining desires, the flesh, was important to help us get our deepest desires. For example, farmers did not wake up at the crack of dawn super excited to not sleep and to go and do their work, right? They didn't wake up like, yes, thank you, Lord, for helping me get up at 4.30 in the morning. No, but they did know that if they fought their strong desire of sleep, they would get their deep desire of their family not going hungry. But in our current society, happiness has gone from being good to feeling good. Self is our ultimate authority and our ultimate God. Life is all about ourself, and the ultimate sin is to not follow our hearts. But this is too heavy of a weight for self to carry. We are not strong enough to be our only moral compass. If self is the ultimate good, then we have the pressure as the person who is self to always be good. What happens then when we screw up? That pressure is crushing. If self is God, there's no room for human error. And I don't know about you guys, but I tend to make some mistakes in life. I need room for human error. If I always just follow my heart, I'll make a a lot of wrong decisions because I have a lot of strong desires that probably shouldn't be acted upon. All this to say, our deepest desires are usually to be good, to be loving, to be godly. But these deep desires are usually sabotaged by the strong surface level desires of our flesh. According to Comer, this is because giving into the desires of our flesh does not lead to freedom in life, as many people would assume, but instead to slavery and in worst case scenario, addiction, which is prolonged suicide by pleasure. But that goes against our modern worldview. See, we think of freedom as the ability to do whatever we want. But according to Galatians 5, this is incorrect. So what is true freedom? Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So what Paul is arguing here is that true freedom is the ability to love one another. See, the flesh, the flesh is all about the desire to take. But what can I get from this situation? But love is all about what can I give. Flesh is about taking and receiving. Love's about giving. What can I sacrifice for this person? So the flesh and love, they're at ends with each other. The flesh is all about feeling good. But just because something feels good does not necessarily mean it is good. We've all eaten a good meal that feels good going down but it is not good for us, right? This is me every time I go to Starbucks, the barbecue place in Cedar Falls. I love it so much. It feels so good when I'm there, but it's not good for me. It ruins the rest of my day. I tell our Chi Alpha team, if I've had Starbucks, please just don't talk to me in the afternoon because I'll be useless for all of us. <laughs> I wish it wasn't true. But... So flesh is all about just feeling good. Love is all about the greater good. So true love is all about hard work, about choosing our deepest desires. It's about discipline, about being giving. Think about marriage. In my wife Taylor and I's marriage, we don't always choose just to do what feels good, but we care about the greater good of our marriage. This means that sometimes when I'm reading a book, I'm getting a little sleepy and it's late at night and I hear Taylor ask me the worst question in the world. Can you do the dishes? I hate dishes so much. But see, when she asks me, I do them most of the time even though I really do not want to, because I love Taylor deeply, and I care about our marriage. I love her enough to sacrifice my own wants to the greater good of our house and for our marriage. The loving thing for me to do would not be to say, actually, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to do the dishes. That's not love, and that'll get me in trouble, and it won't be good for anyone involved. Amen? Amen. See, true freedom, true freedom is the ability to choose good not just the freedom to choose. The scripture writer makes it clear, especially Paul here in Galatians, that we are either going to be slaves to our flesh or slaves to the spirit. One thing is going to control us. What we have to do is we have to choose, what am I going to give my control to? Paul describes the acts of the flesh as this. Now the works of the flesh, this is Galatians 5, 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are things like Tinder, hookup culture, pornography, sharkies, etc., goes on, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, things like Twitter, cancel culture, arguing on social media, road rage, comparison, pride, continuing, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, those are things like politics, gossip, the internet, and the great envy generator known as Instagram, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are the desires in our life that are of the flesh, and those are the desires in our life that are the strongest. So what happens if our strongest desires went out? See, Paul argues that those things that we just listed, those things actually control you. That as you sow to them and give into your flesh, these things will control you and shape you. That's why those things I just listed make up most of our addictions in society. I googled the top ten addictions, and I think nine out of the ten were covered in that list. Sex, drugs, alcohol, getting people's attention, anger, the internet, those are the most common addictions in our society. But see, what we call addictions, Paul and Jesus call slavery. What we are addicted to actually enslaves us. As we discussed, though, we talk about freedom. That was the Lord. I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, true freedom is not the ability to do what I want, because inevitably, if we just keep doing whatever we want, we will become enslaved. And slavery is the opposite of freedom, right? So these fleshly desires that are strong, if we give them control, they control us. We live for the next fixed. Our life becomes centered around our pornography addiction, our tobacco addiction, getting people to like us. We say we can stop whenever I want, but we all know that's probably not true. See, the flesh is not very kind to us when we decide to stop sowing to it. Paul explains this truth later on in Galatians 6. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's all back to this law known as sowing and reaping. See, this law is not just a truth expressed by Paul, but in actuality it is a description of reality. Sowing and reaping is just how the world works. If we plant an apple seed, we are going to get an apple tree. But the beauty of sowing and reaping is it is not a one-to-one ratio. Because if we plant one single apple seed, we're going to get a lot of apples and a lot of seeds back. We get a disproportionate return. It's cause and effect. Our input turns into output, but it's not just a one-to-one. It turns into a disproportionate or a bigger output. Colmer puts it this way. Every time we sow to the flesh, or put another way, every time we give into our flesh's desires to sin, we plant something into the soil of our hearts, which then begins to take root, grow, and eventually yield the harvest of a deformed nature. Sowing and reaping, whatever we put in, we will get out. That's not just God punishing us. That's the description of reality. That's the way the world works. And science backs this up. Every time we sow to the flesh, it becomes easier to do so again. We create neural pathways in our brains. Every time we make a decision about those fleshly things, it becomes easier and easier. I want you to imagine that you're in a forest. And you look at this forest and there's absolutely no paths No one's ever walked in this forest before. The first time that you walk through that forest, it's going to be pretty hard to walk through it, right? You're going to have to step over things. You're going to be crushing leaves. You're going to have to break branches. It's going to be a hard walk. It'll be very hard for you to get through that forest. Now, I want you to imagine that you walk through that forest on the exact same path every single day. It's just going to get easier and easier and easier. The more you step on those trees and branches and leaves, it's going to create a pathway to where week, month, year later, you can get through in a breeze. That's what happens to our brains when we sow to the flesh. We make decisions just to satisfy those urges and those desires in us. It just becomes easier and easier and easier. The easiest way to explain this, and I'm sorry to keep using sexual analogies, it just works, is pornography. The first time someone watches pornography, it's usually probably pretty awkward. It feels weird. You feel dirty, guilty, like I don't want to do this. This feels weird. I'm going to get caught. And it's really a challenge to do it the first time. But the more you do it, the more natural it becomes, the easier it becomes, and then it just seems like your second nature to continue watching pornography. Because in our brain, we create a neural pathway that connects maybe like a room or a time of the day or an emotion or something to you watching porn. It's four o'clock. This is what I do. This is what keeps happening every day. We create habits. Over time, as we sow to the flesh, it will become second nature because of science, because the neural pathways in our brains, the more and more we do things, the harder it becomes to break our cycles. What happens is we have an idea placed in our head. Sometimes this idea is a lie from the devil, and sometimes it's a truth from God. This idea goes to our mind. And after it goes through our mind, it starts to take root in our thought life. Then our thoughts become our actions. Our actions, if repeated over and over again, become a habit. And then our habits shape our character. Who you are is just a collection of your habits. That's your character. And then your character is eventually going to lead you to one of two locations, either to slavery or to eternal life with God. Because we become enslaved to our flesh by sowing through our disordered desires, sowing to them. This all goes back to what we talked about last week with spiritual formation. As a reminder, we are all constantly being formed either into the image of Jesus or deformed into the image of the devil. As Jesus followers, our main goal is to be spiritually formed into the image of God, to take care of our inner lives or our soul. And this cycle is how it happens. This is how we become spiritually formed. Something is a truth or lie, It goes to our mind, then occupies our thought life. Our thoughts become our actions. Our actions become our habits. Our habits shape our character, and it leads us to one of two directions. That might be a little bit confusing, so let me use an example. And this is going to be a lot of words on the screen, so I apologize for that right now. But let's start with this lie. You you hear a lie from the devil that you can't trust anyone. So that lie takes root in your mind, and then you start having this thought pattern that we We think, I probably shouldn't be open because I can't trust anyone. That's what we start thinking. I can't trust anyone, so I shouldn't be open, which then turns to an action, and that action is we hide our true selves because we think we can't trust anyone, so I'm not going to start trusting people. So that turns into action. And then the more and more we don't trust people and we hide our true selves, we habitually lie or we are not an open person. That habit makes us to our character. We're just simply not a vulnerable person. I continually do the actions of hiding things, so I'm just simply not vulnerable. And then the more I'm not vulnerable, it plays back to this character thing where we think, I can't trust anyone, and the reason you think you can't trust anyone is because you've never trusted anyone with anything. So you never give them an opportunity to prove they're trustworthy, you're not going to trust them, right? Because you've never given them a chance. So then your character becomes someone who doesn't trust anyone, and then you become enslaved to that lie that you can't trust anyone. Let's do a more practical example. Maybe you get a lie from the devil that sex alone will make you happy. This thought takes root in your mind, and then we start having this thought life, this thought life that we think we should probably just fulfill any sexual desire. That's the thought we want to fulfill, it because it'll make me happy. This leads to an action of watching pornography. The more and more we do it, that becomes a habit, so we are addicted to pornography, and then our identity becomes, I am a porn addict, that becomes our character, and so we become enslaved to that addiction. See, through sowing to the flesh, we become enslaved to the flesh, which controls our spiritual formation. See, I think too often we think our daily little actions don't actually affect us. If I just sleep in today and skip my Bible reading, it's not going to make a huge deal. When in actuality, all, all of our daily little actions play into this cycle, and it makes it easier to keep doing the same actions over and over again, and eventually we are enslaved to them. The things we do, do something to us. Our daily decisions are really just investments into our future. They shape who we are, they shape our habits, which shapes our character. The lies we believe, the actions we take, shape us either into the image of God or the image of the devil. The key work of spiritual formation or just apprenticing to Jesus or discipleship is to sow to the Spirit in our minds, which will lead to godly thoughts, actions, habits, and a godly character, and eventually eternal life. But too often we just focus on the actions, right? I just got to do the right things as a Christian. When By the time we get to the action portion of this cycle, we are halfway through. We've lost half the battle. We need to start by sowing to the Spirit in our minds. In order to do this, we need to make the decision That we are going to choose our deepest desires over our strongest desires. The more and more we make wrong decisions, the more our heart's going to harden. But the more and more we make the right decision, our hearts are going to soften. As you can see from this cycle, we have so many entry points to choose to change. So somewhere on this formation cycle, we need to interject and say, I'm going to change my trajectory See, life with Jesus isn't about you making some big life-altering decision where you have to stand up and preach a sermon and say hoorah. No, life with Jesus is about you changing your daily small actions because insignificant decisions shape who we are. I've told many stories about this group called the Chunky Boys. For those that do not know, my friends and I growing up named ourselves the Chunky Boys because we went the Pizza Ranch a lot and we were very unhealthy. This lie that I believed was that food is going to make me happy So that led to the action of eating out of ton, which made me a habitual, unhealthy eater, and eventually my identity or my character was a chunky boy. I had to eventually choose, though, to stop choosing that strong desire of chicken strips and pursue my deeper desire of being a little bit healthier. This started with stopping believing that food equaled happiness and that I was a chunky boy. I had to kill that part of my identity. I had to change my thought life, which changed my actions and habits, which eventually changed my identity. Now I'm just Derek. Nice to meet you. But it started with a seemingly small decision that, you know what? My friends and I don't need to go to Pizza Ranch tonight. We can eat at home. But that small decision of not giving into to that strong desire eventually shaped my character over time. I've thrown a lot at you. I've talked about what happens if you sow to the flesh, the strong desires. Let's flip the coin. What happens if we sow to our deepest desires? So if we start sowing to the Spirit, what's going to happen to us? Galatians 5 tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if we sow to the flesh, we become enslaved to things like envy, jealousy, sexual desire. But if we sow to the Spirit through the spiritual disciplines, we become enslaved to joy and peace. I don't know about you guys, but I would prefer joy over envy. So true freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want. True freedom is not the ability just to feel good, but to choose good. And good is sowing to the spirit, not sowing to the flesh. By sowing to the spirit, we can win. We can defeat the flesh. But what does that practically look like? How do we fight the flesh? Well, the first step, I think, is to not give in to shame. Before jumping into that, I want to distinguish between two things, guilt and shame. If I'm honest, I don't think guilt is necessarily bad. Only two types of people never feel guilty in life saints who never screw up and are perfect, or sociopaths who can do wrong and not feel bad about it. The rest of us should probably feel guilty from time to time because guilt's kind of like pain, it's an indicator that something is off. See, when pain tells the body something's wrong, like when you're touching a hot plate, pain is telling you stop touching that, stop touching that, or eventually you're going to get a long-term pain of burning. So pain helps us avoid long-term damage. Guilt is kind of the same way. It's the indicator that something is wrong, that something's off, that we're sowing to the flesh. It's a moral discomfort that gives us direction, saying you should probably change your actions because if you keep doing this over and over again, you're going to have a lot of long-term pain. Shame, on the other hand, Shame is certainly never helpful. Guilt's just about what we're doing. Shame is about who I am. Guilt says, what I did was bad. Shame says, I am bad. Shame is wrapped up in our identity. Shame perpetuates itself by changing my identity to think I'm a bad person who's gonna keep doing bad. Shame helps no one. So if you're struggling with shame tonight, and you think that you are too far gone, or that you've sown to the flesh too many times, That you're a terrible person and you wallow or dwell on your sin, I challenge you to course correct. Stop believing the lies from the devil. All that guilt should do is just cause us to course correct, not dwell on our badness. That's what shame does, and shame's not helpful. Shame is not from the Lord. I rebuke shame in your heart right now, that if you have shame about decisions you've made, that is not from King Jesus. Your identity is not a sin you've committed. Your identity is not that you sow into the flesh. Your identity is you are either a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. So first we need to get rid of shame. And how do we do that? We talk to someone about it. We expose it for what it is. Because if you say, this is who I think I am, then you have a friend or a godly leader who can say, that is a lie from the devil, so let's move on to fighting our flesh. Paul says this in Galatians five twenty four. and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are to crucify the flesh. That's how we fight the flesh. We don't coddle it. We don't baby it. We do not manage our flesh. We crucify it, which means we kill it. Sometimes we think we can manage our flesh, like I can handle this little sin issue on my own. I can handle it in small doses. I can manage this. I'm in control when that's simply not the case. As we saw from that formation cycle, the more and more we let little things into our lives, the more and more they control us. It can take over. So we can't manage our sin. You don't need a six-month program to overcome a sin. You need to make a decision that I'm going to crucify my flesh tonight. You don't need six months to overcome it. You can do it right here, right now, because the power of God is way more powerful than any sin in your life. We cannot be okay with just managing our sin. We must be willing to make a radical choice if we truly want freedom, Because we cannot have both the flesh and the Spirit. So we must crucify the flesh if we want the Spirit. And verse 25 tells us how to crucify the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To crucify the flesh, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. So we fight the flesh not through willpower, but from the Spirit's power. Too often we think the solution to overcoming sin issues or our fleshly desires is I'll just grit my teeth, I'll pull myself up from my bootstraps, and I will will myself into being like God. However, Paul argues that the key is simply to live by the Spirit. Here's a note about willpower. Willpower is not necessarily bad. As we follow Jesus, it should become easier to choose good things. As you follow Jesus, it will become easier to resist your flesh. As you look more like Jesus, it's easier to choose him. So if willpower works in avoiding a sin, use it. Unfortunately, willpower doesn't usually work against our strongest desires. Willpower stands no chance against an addiction, a deeply walked neural pathway, triggered trauma. Willpower is simply not strong enough. So we need to access something that's more powerful than my willpower. We must access the Spirit's power. And how do we do that? The spiritual disciplines or the practices of Jesus. Thankfully for us, that's where willpower comes back in. Comer puts it this way. Willpower is at its best when it does what it can. Direct my body into spiritual practices so the spirit's power can do what the willpower cannot. Overcome the three enemies of the soul. If you get one thing from this message tonight, I pray that it's this. That willpower is probably not strong enough to resist your deep, strong desires. But willpower is strong enough to get us to do the spiritual practices, to do the spiritual disciplines. And if we do these things, if we spend time with God, if we read the scriptures, if we pray, that will give us access to the Spirit's power, which is actually strong enough to resist our strongest desires. Think of it this way. This is a weird example. But let's say you walk into your dorm room, and there's this person in class that you find wildly attractive, and they're like sitting on your desk naked. Willpower is probably not strong enough to resist that temptation. I just, everyone just like, oh my gosh, it makes sense. Willpower might not be strong enough to resist that temptation, Right? However, willpower is strong enough for you to get up a little bit earlier so you can read the Bible. Willpower is strong enough to stop watching TikTok so you can pray or spend time in silence or to confess your sin. It's much easier to will or grit your teeth and bear your way into spending time with Jesus than it is to say no to a deep-rooted sin temptation. Willpower probably won't get over your addiction. However, willpower can connect you to the Spirit's power, which is strong enough to help you get over your addiction. Too often we focus all of our willpower on just resisting sin, so then there's no willpower left to get us to actually spend time with God. So we have no spiritual power because we used up all of our willpower on avoiding sin, and we've also used up all of our willpower. So we have none of that left either, so we're powerless and saying, enemy, come take me, I'm yours because I've got nothing left. Instead, we should use our willpower to will us into the presence of God, which will fill us with the Spirit's power, which can help you overcome any addiction in your life. That's how we fight the flesh, through the power of the Spirit. And there are two main practices of Jesus that help us fight the flesh and gain spirit power. The first one is fasting. Fasting is when we abstain from food in order to pray and to connect with God. Fasting trains us to not get what we want. Fasting trains us to say no to ourselves, which is a very important skill in fighting the flesh. But it's much easier to say no to lunch and to fast lunch than it is to say no to a deeply rooted addiction. So start with saying no to lunch and work your way up. And then eventually, hopefully, you'll get a lot more power. As you fast, if you start this discipline, I'm going to give you a secret. It's not going to feel great right away. You're not going to fast lunch and like start hovering on the power of God like, yes, I've arrived. No, you'll probably be hangry. Or at least I'm really hangry when I fast. That doesn't mean you can quit. God's not saying do the spiritual disciplines unless it makes you grumpy. Then you probably shouldn't do them. That's not what he says at all. No, it takes time. Too many people give up on fasting after one day because they didn't feel nice. That's kind of the point of fasting. We as a church just finished 21 days of prayer and fasting. It was not always fun, but it was fruitful. To be honest, just being real with you guys, this past week of my life has not been a very fun one. It's not been a great week. Usually when the things that happened this week happened to me, something like this, I would get really stressed, really anxious, and would not have had a good week last week. But because I fasted, I think God gave me the ability to choose joy. Because then I had the ability to say, you know what, God, if I can say no to some food, I can say yes to joy, God. We need to fast so we can sow to the Spirit and choose to have joy. Because then instead of sowing to the flesh and having anxiety and anger when life doesn't go our way, we can be joyful. Fasting trains ourselves to be joyful. Even when we're starving the flesh, so we can physically starve the flesh, so that we can spiritually starve our flesh. My challenge is this. I want you to, I, my challenge, I'm not saying I want you, that sounded angry. I would like you all, my prayer is that Chi Alpha, everyone would fast one meal a week. My real prayer is someday that all of every member of Chi Alpha fasts Tuesday lunch, so we pray for our service. Build fasting into your rhythms and your real devotional life. The next practice of crucifying the flesh is confession. James five sixteen says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, a saying we have around Kai Alpha is this: we are to confess our sins to God for forgiveness, but we confess our sins to community for freedom. When you confess your sins to God and ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. He pays your debt and you are white as snow. You don't have to confess to people to be in right standing before God. However, if I'm honest, just confessing to God doesn't usually lead to a whole lot of freedom. It doesn't really help us. Freedom requires some accountability. Freedom requires us to bring our sins to the light. The Bible is clear that sin grows best in the dark. It's much easier to keep on sinning and feeding the flesh when no one else knows about it. As we bring sin to the light, we start to get free from it because we get brothers and sisters to help us journey towards freedom. The devil tells us a lie when we sin. Listen to this. The devil's going to tell you a lie that you you have an image to uphold. That if you confess that sin to your small group, they're going to think differently of you. That they won't love me if they know this thing I've done. That is a straight lie from the devil. The truth is that people in this group love you no matter what. No matter what you do, we will not view you differently. You don't have to upkeep an image here. See, we just want to know the real you. We have to kill this lie from the enemy that you have to be perfect to uphold an image. We must kill this lie through confessing our sins. The devil tells you that you have to uphold that image because he wants you to keep sinning. The devil's not stupid. He knows that if you bring your sin to the light, you'll probably stop doing it eventually. So he's like, I got to use whatever I can, so I'm going to plant these lies inside their head that they can't do it, they can't confess. He's going to go on an all-out attack to get you to not confess your sin. Because the devil knows that sin confession cuts sin off at the knees, and it kills his power. Confession gives us the spiritual power to overcome our sins. If you want to kill the flesh, if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, confess your sins, be vulnerable with people. Meaning we go to people with our sins, we don't wait for them to ask us, we go to them and we are real. Vulnerability kills the flesh. Just naming sins has the power to break chains couple that with accountability and come on, the flesh will have no power over your life. I challenge you to be real with your small group. I challenge you to spend week or spend time every week in small group confessing sins. That can be an action, that can be a thought, that can be anger, that can be jealousy, that can be a sinful decision or action, it can be a sinful thought, it's whatever is going to help you. Fasting and confession crucify the flesh along with the other spiritual disciplines of scripture reading, prayer, silence and solitude, etc. See, growing up for me, vulnerability was really, really hard. See, I didn't want to be real with people because I thought I had this image to uphold. I grew up in the church, I played on the worship team, and I thought I had to be this perfect church kid. If anyone knew what was actually going on, I would have no value anymore, because my value was not being loved for my performance. This led me to not share my junk, This led me to not sharing the sexual sin in my life. I would straight up lie to people to uphold my image. And that killed me inside. Because I was constantly worried about the the thought that people might meet the real me. I was constantly worried that people would see me as a fraud. This continued through all high school. My senior year of high school, I got a relationship and we crossed a ton of sexual boundaries and I told absolutely no one because I didn't want to lose my image. This thought continued into my relationship with my now wife Taylor, as we crossed sexual boundaries and I hid all of them, and it ate me up inside. Then we got married, and we still hadn't told anyone. I wasn't doing the sin anymore because I was married. That kind of stops that sin from happening, but that past unconfessed sin still ate at me, even though I wasn't doing it anymore. See, I constantly felt fake. I constantly felt alone in the dark, and it's built up into my brain for years. I had a cycle where I thought I was worthless. I thought I was going to hell, and I thought I was a fraud. And then one day it all exploded, and I walked into my brother's office, and I spilled all of it. I told him all my, all the bad things I've done, and I brought it all to the light. And I have never felt so free. I wasn't a fraud. I was free to pursue God. See, the reason I preach vulnerability and the reason why you hear that sentence, confess our sins to God for forgiveness and the community for freedom, is because it absolutely changed my life. And see, here's the thing. I know that there's probably some of us here who have some unconfessed sin in our life that we're hiding to uphold an image, and I know what it's doing inside of you. I know what's going on in your thought. I know what you think about before you go to bed, and I know how miserable that is. And over my dead body, am I gonna let you feel that way without me telling you that there is hope for something better? That you don't have to wallow in that. It controlled years of my life. Living a fake life is exhausting, but living a free life is the most beautiful thing in the planet. See, this conversation on the flesh, it's all about our desires. How do we properly order our desires and fight the flesh? But we can't really control our desires, right? Most of our desires are just natural. They just spring up. So we can't control them, but we can influence our desires. We can change our habits, we can change what we dwell on. We can choose to either sow to the flesh or to the spirit. So I challenge you to look at all the habits in your life this week and ask yourself, is this sowing to the flesh or to the spirit? If that's confusing, think of it this way. Is this making me look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? The key to spiritual formation is changing what we can control like our habits so we can influence what we cannot control our desires because the flesh is going to deceive us through disordered desires. We have to fight this deception through a healthy diet of truth, through the practices of Jesus, such as fasting and confession. Maybe you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you've been sowing to the flesh. You've been choosing your strongest desires, and this has led you to not get your deepest desires of being like Jesus and overcoming your sin. God wants to help you. You are not too far gone. You're not too addicted. You have hope. You can still go see Twilight Breaking Dawn part one. At least I hope so. That's what's keeping me going. Through changing our habits, we can reorder our desires. We just need to start sowing to the Spirit. Or maybe you're here, and if you're honest, you don't actually know Jesus at all. Let alone are you worried about this flesh thing? Well, the reason we sow to the Spirit is because the Spirit actually came in the form of the flesh known as Jesus. See, Jesus, he has a deep desire. His deep desire is to know you intimately, and his deep desire is to spend eternity with you. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, decided, I'm going to choose my deep desires over my strong desire. See, Jesus on earth had a strong desire to not go die on a cross, to not be mocked and murdered. That was a very strong desire. He swept blood because he was so stressed about it. But he said no to that strong desire so he could say yes to his deep desire and he died on a cross so that we have the opportunity to spend eternity with with Jesus. Because, see, we keep sowing to the flesh. We keep making the wrong decisions. So that should separate us from God because we're not sowing to the spirit, which is God. So we shouldn't have a chance with God, but Jesus said that will not do. So he said, I'm gonna choose my deep desire. I'm gonna die on a cross for you because I love you and I wanna create a pathway jesus made a way for forgiveness and restoration so we can be formed into his image and spend eternity with him we have a choice we can either keep choosing our strongest desires keep feeding our flesh or we can fight back we can crucify our flesh through the power of the spirit and if we do this this campus in your life will be turned upside down if we do this we will experience true freedom to step in with the spirit if we do this our desires will be reordered and we will kill the flesh thus healing our soul making it right before god and connecting us to the most beautiful thing in all creation the god of the universe if you all stand with me in these front corners we're going to have our response team and just some people who would love to pray with you as we go on throughout the rest of the evening so if that's open to you as we go back into worship in a few seconds. But before that, I want to give you two opportunities to respond. So if you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you haven't really chosen Jesus. Maybe you chose him a long time ago, but it's been a while, and you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, or back to Jesus, want to accept his payment, what I'm going to ask you to do is, on the count of three, I'll ask you to raise your hand just as a sign to God, saying, I want to jump all in with Jesus. So if you'd all close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to count to three, and if you want to raise your hand just to signify you're all in with Jesus. That would be great. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much, God. I just pray that you will just welcome us back into the kingdom of God. We thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness, Lord. In your name. A second way we want to respond is if you're here and if you're honest, you've been sowing to the flesh. What I want you to do is we're going to sing a song together. And as we sing that song, I want you to give that thing to God. So whatever that thing is weighing on you, I want you to say out loud, God, you can have blank. Or you're going to say it in your head. And I want you to physically just give it to God and say, God is in control, okay? Let me pray for us as we go back to this. song. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you died for us and we can choose you, God. We thank you that you can crucify our flesh in your name.